0: Four From the Bentley Chevrolet, Box Sports Las Vegas Studios, and live at LBSportsNetwork.com,
1: with your hosts, Darren Millard and Ryan Wallace.
2: Hour number two, VGK Insider Show rolling along here on a Monday. Ryan Wallace, Chris Chapman with you, Darren Millard, off on vacation. Darren will be back, though. And we will roll on as we usually do here around this time with the Stanley Cup Final, as well as everyone's favorite time of the year the nhl entry draft free agency that's when a lot of teams make a lot of changes and for the golden knights a team that missed the playoffs for the first time in franchise history there will be changes in fact there already have been changes and to help us dig a little bit deeper into that we're going to bring in good friend of the show danny webster with the las vegas Sun. hey danny how you doing
1: doing good guys how you doing hope the summer's treating you well
2: Uh, It it is. It's just, I don't, I don't know what to do with myself right now. Like what, what, what is the off season look like for you, Danny? Because frankly, we're used to maybe just getting into off season mode and it's been, uh, it's been too long for me. Like, I I don't even remember what attending a a live hockey game feels like, looks like, has been like. So what have you done to kind of occupy your time with this lengthy off season?
1: Yeah, I kind of forgot what City National looked like until I was there for the Cassidy Press the other day, so I I kind of forgot where that was. But pretty much it's been just filling in my time with different things been covering different events. I was actually helping out with election coverage last week. That was an interesting experience. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I'm already ready for DevCamp, which is apparently right around the corner. So I'm already ready to go for that. I'm ready to get back to the rink.
2: So you mentioned Bruce Cassidy. Let's start there for the Golden Knights, because obviously one of the bigger talking points coming out of the, the, the offseason for Vegas is that they moved on from head coach Pete DeBoer. He was relieved of his duties. We'll get to some uh, some ideas of where Pete might land next, what's been speculated a little bit later on in the program, but going with Bruce Cassidy, like, it wasn't an obvious choice at the time, mainly because Bruce Cassidy was still employed by the Boston Bruins, but did you, like me, kind of feel like once Boston moved on from Bruce Cassidy that he was the perfect choice for the Vegas Golden Knights?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I had mentioned in my initial report when when the hiring was made that the Golden Knights were zeroing on, on Barry Trotz. Rick Tockett was a good 1A option number two, but Barry Trotz was the guy. I don't think that's any secret to anybody. But I think once it became apparent that... Trotz was still kind of trying to figure out what he really wanted to do next year, whether it was actually coach or whether it was maybe take a year off, come back, recharge and get back to it next year. I think once Bruce Cassidy became available, the Golden Knights kind of just went in a, kind of went in a little bit of a pivot. And I, and I think once they saw that he was available, he, 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 initially became their first target. So I de- I definitely was surprised um and I do think that once he became available knowing Bruce Cassidy and knowing what he said during his presser how he didn't want to stay out of work for long and I knew the Golden Knights were probably going to go all in on him turns out that he ends up being the guy and the Golden Knights get their guy and it all works out for everyone.
2: So you were at the introductory press conference for Bruce Cassidy. What were your main takeaways from that thirty-five, forty minutes?
1: I think he is someone that has the voice that I think Kelly Mc. And I think you know we can we can talk forever. Really, means new voice means after two and a half years through two coaches. I mean, we we can discuss that at nauseum, But I think what Bruce Cassidy brings is kind of that fire not a dictator type of coach but someone definitely command of a locker room he's someone who has the presence that you actually can listen to can believe that he is the guy that can lead your locker room and and of course i think toward the tail end there was a lot of talk about the power play and how that could change a lot of things and i think that's something that you know appeals to the ears of the golden knights themselves and the golden knights management knowing what Bruce Cassidy has done on a power play for the last six years in Boston. So I think there is a lot to like with what Bruce Cassidy brings to the table, and I think the way that he expressed how grateful he is to be working after an eight-day hiatus and to get back to coaching a team that still a lot of people consider to be a contender, I think a lot of people have the right to be uh, pretty excited about what's going on right now.
0: Now we heard uh, Bill Foley mention before or right after the season ended that he wanted to be more involved and he wanted to bring the identity back to this team. How how much of a role do you think Bill Foley played in in this? Do you think it was a case where he basically told George and Kelly, "Look, this is the guy I want. Go out and give him what he wants. Get him." Because I I would be under the assumption that there would have been a a pretty big market for a guy like Bruce Cassidy. And for the Golden Knights to get him hired six days after he was let go by the Bruins seems like there was some real swift action by the Golden Knights.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think the involvement of Bill Foley definitely played a factor here. And, and I mean, you guys know I'm a, I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan, a Dallas Cowboys fan, so any time you hear the words owner getting involved with a team usually does not result in a good thing. Um, <laughs> but I think in this instance, Bill Foley had to get involved because of the decisions that Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee have made over the last few years, primarily with the coaching staff, with letting go of Gerard Gallant and then getting Pete DeBoer and then eventually moving on from Pete DeBoer after falling just a few points shy of the playoffs. So I think ultimately Bill Foley probably looked at this situation and said, you guys need to get this hire right. You have to go out and make sure that whoever you are bring in to replace a guy who just took you to two conference final appearances in a row, you need to make sure that whoever you're going to get is going to be the guy. And if I have to be the one to get involved, I'm going to. And I think ultimately that is what, that is what led to the Golden Knights pivoting and going to get Bruce Cassidy because he just – fell out of the sky in Boston and all of a sudden now you have your desirable coaching option. So I definitely do think Bill Foley absolutely played a huge role in this decision and this pivot to get Bruce Cassidy.
2: Danny Webster with the Las Vegas Sun joining us here to talk play uh, off season priorities for the Vegas Golden Knights. We're spending a little bit of time here on the new hire of Bruce Cassidy, the third head coach in Golden Knights franchise history Entering their sixth season next year, and I guess Danny, like I, I, I want to say, when you look at Pete DeBoer, when you look at Bruce Cassidy, their their resumes are are pretty well. well similar like there's there's not a whole lot that differentiates maybe Bruce Cassidy from Pete DeBoer they're both defensive minded coaches they're both coaches that know how to coach elite talent they've they've had great great track records throughout their career so if a new voice is what you're looking for how much difference is there going to be from Pete DeBoer to Bruce Cassidy
1: the more I look at it And, and, I mean, you guys can obviously disagree with me if you feel like it, but the more I look at Bruce Cassidy and the more that I look at the way that the Bruins played, I I honestly feel it is a mixture of Gerard Gallant and Mm -hmm. Pete DeBoer. Mm -hmm. I I think there is a mixture of it's a good, solid defensive structure that when operated correctly, it can turn into a great counterattack system and it can get them set up offensively fairly well. I think the one thing that the one thing that Cassidy had said in the presser that I think Kelly McCrimmon had mentioned a little bit after he had fired Pete DeBoer, the words creativity offensively I think mm-hmm. were a huge thing here. And I think when you look at the talent offensively for this group, depending on who comes back next year, there is a lot of open creativity from what you can get from a guy like Jack Eichel, from a guy like Mark Stone, and even in the, from the blue line when you're in the offensive zone, whether it be from Alex Petrangelo or Shea Theodore. I think that is the one thing that hindered Pete DeBoer a lot, especially down the stretch this season, because it was, it was really just a system where you cycled around the blue line, and you guys, you got guys set up, and hopefully they got a decent shot off, or they're just firing shots off in the blue line. You got a guy like Jack Eichel, someone who we know is very creative with the puck, someone who is very good with his stick handling. You'd like to see what he can do in a creative, offensive type of environment, and I think, ultimately, when you have guys like Bergeron and Pasternak and Marchand, you're allowed to do a little bit of that, so I'm kind of interested interested to see going from defense to offense how that will translate and how that might set things up more offensively for the Golden Knights that kind of bogged them down late in the season and ultimately the reason why they missed the playoffs.
2: Creativity within the context of offensive chances and getting out of the system a little bit was an area that was brought up a couple of times by a few different players At the exit interviews. Do do you do you kind of view that as maybe the the tipping point in the decision to move on from Pete DeBoer? Like Kelly McCrimmon didn't really give us a lot as to why the decision was made to move on from Pete DeBoer. But when you you hear that from Bruce Cassidy and you you kind of come back to that as maybe one of the criticisms, it, it leads me to believe that players wanted a little bit more freedom in the offensive zone.
1: Yeah, definitely, and and I think that goes back to what I mentioned. Like When when you have Petrangelo or you have Theodore back there just firing shots from the point and you're hoping for rebounds or anything to come your way, it kind of slows you down. And I think when you have the personnel that you have on the offensive end that can use that speed, that can use that precision to kind of create those two-on-ones, those three-on-twos, or even just setting up in the offensive zone at five-on-five, you need... You need those kind, of, you know, the, the, those kind of efforts, those kind of offensive plays to be ran when you have the talent like that. So I think ultimately, at the end of the day, when you look at how they kind of faltered toward the end, I definitely do think that that was, looking back on it, that probably is the tipping point.
0: You know, Danny, one of the, the themes that I picked up on a lot in that presser was the word accountability and Bruce is going to hold people and players accountable, do you kind of think that maybe there was a lack of accountability? Do you think that... Because, I mean, we don't know, but just based on that, my my wonder is, was there a lack of accountability with Pete? You know, I think we can
1: look at the way that things ended with Gerard Gallant, and we could probably ask the same thing, honestly. I, I think that when you look at how things unfolded in the gallant era a lot of it had to do with accountability i think a lot of it had to do with you know trying the same things over and over again and see if it worked and if it didn't work then it was just okay go on and move to the next one i think with with pete DeBoer, pretty much the same thing if you think about it there was a lot of instances where they tried the same thing over and over and over again it didn't initially work but they were like, okay, well, it didn't work today. It can probably work again tomorrow. And then if I try it try, and then they tried it again tomorrow, and it worked. And it's like, see, it works. So we can keep on doing it. And there was really no, there was really no stern accountability, I guess. So I think ultimately, if you get a guy like Bruce Cassidy, <clears throat> excuse me, you get a get a guy like Bruce Cassidy who knows how to really. I guess, in a sense, hold the players accountable and hold the young players accountable if they're not playing well to their potential, then I think that that's a direction that they needed to go in. And I I think getting that kind of a voice in there is definitely going to help in terms of that aspect. And it's going to be a little bit more of a tighter ship than what I think we're used to.
2: Danny Webster with the Las Vegas Sun joining us here to talk a little bit about Bruce Cassidy and a little bit about the priorities for the Golden Knights in the offseason. So let's get there. The the other bit of news from the Golden Knights last week was the trade of Evgeny Dadonov for real, this time to the Montreal <laughs> Canadiens in exchange for the contract of Shea Weber. That money will go to LTIR. So it, it's a net Gain for the Golden Knights in terms of cap space of about five million dollars. So the question becomes, what's the priority for the Golden Knights in the offseason? You have restricted free agents like Nick Waugh and Keegan Colasar and Nick Haig that need new contracts and are likely going to be in line for raises. And then you've got the question of Riley Smith, unrestricted free agent. What does a deal look like? So if you're looking at this. Objectively, Danny, what's your priority list for the Golden Knights? What needs to come first with the money freed up from the Donov deal?
1: I think obviously the first thing they look at is a Riley Smith deal. the The biggest question with that, like, and you alluded to it, Ryan, is how much does the new contract for Riley Smith look like? Does does it look like mm-hmm. a team friendly deal that's less than the five million? that he got when he signed the deal in Florida? Is it a little bit more? Is Do do teams on the open market look at a guy like Riley Smith, who is a two-way, 50, 55, 60-point guy, and they say, well, if we could get him for more than $5 million, we could pry him away from Vegas. So mm-hmm. that's really going to be the starting point, I think, when they try to look at this. And there were obviously reports back at around March before Smith went down with his injury of, where there are talks of an extension, who knows where those have even picked up at this point. And so far as I know, it's still pretty silent on that front. Um, that That's where it really gets sticky. And then when you look at the RFAs, how much does a Nick Waugh deal look like? How much does a Nick Haig deal look like? How much does a Keegan Colstar deal look like? Even a Brett Howden deal, how much does that look like with how well he played last year could you get him on the same dollar amount that he was on last year probably but there there's a lot of factors that go into that the more i thought about it before they made the trade for Dodonov, i was like if there was ever a time for maybe an offer sheet to come in this offseason might do it if the golden knights are that strapped to the cap obviously they've alleviated some of that flexibility now but It's going to be interesting to see how it pans out, and I I still wonder if there are teams out there with the cap space that look at Riley Smith and say, you know, he's not going to be, you know, a 70, 80-point guy, but if he's still effective as a two-way player, tack on with the fact that he can give you 50 points, 55 points when healthy. It wouldn't shock me if a team came in at, you know, the beginning of free agency if he's not signed by then and said, you know what, we'll give him Five, five and a half, maybe even six if it goes that high. So it's going to be very interesting to see how they factor this over the next couple of weeks leading up to free agency. And I don't expect the Dodonov trade to be the last one they make before mm-hmm. the start of free agency, but it's going to be very interesting how these next few weeks unfold.
0: You know, Danny, I had an interesting conversation with someone yesterday, and they asked me what's the best thing that Kelly and George could do to help this team right now, to help Bruce Cassidy get off to a successful start. And my answer was get cap compliant. Is there anything else that George and Kelly could do at this point to help Bruce, or or is that pretty much it?
1: Yeah, no. (laughs) And a half ago, Projections of what they could do, and I and I ultimately, the Donov was one trade. I think the other one that they can look at is Laurent Brossois. I think that is someone else that can be looked at as a trade chip, or possibly even someone who's placed on waivers before the beginning of the season. Uh, there was a poll I put out that I put into that story of if fans had to choose between William Carlson or Alec Martinez, who would they trade? And I think and the majority picked William Carlson. But I do think as the buzz keeps going, Alec Martinez might be another someone we look at over the next couple of weeks if the Golden Knights do make another move. That's another interesting name that they can possibly move on from. And even if they gotta retain, you know, a million or a million and a half, maybe even two, that at least clears up a good number of cap space for them. So there are avenues that they can explore. To become cap compliant, while at the same time hoping that they can get all the RFAs back under a decent number, as well as keep Riley Smith, even though Smith is still really the wild card here. So there are avenues they can explore. Whether they actually choose to do those or not is going to be is going to be interesting to watch.
2: Okay, I, I want to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole here. So you okay. mentioned some big ticket items, some big salary players for the golden Knights and William Carlson and and Alec Martinez. And, you know, I I think that some, given the way that the golden Knights are set up right now, down the middle, maybe make a little bit more sense than others. But then you see the counter argument to that in that you played the majority of the season without Alec Martinez and it allowed for a lot of growth on your back end. So the, the question that I have is I think the golden Knights are going to be making another move certainly to to kind of give themselves a little bit more flexibility. The question I have for you, and then I'm going to try to lead you where I want to get to, is if they do that, is it only to take care of what's in-house? Or do you think if the Golden Knights are able to free up enough space, they might look to add something to this roster?
1: I think if they had the opportunity to do it, I think they would. I think ultimately... Right now, my brain goes, they just want to clear up what they need and use what they have in-house, whether when, whether it's Alec Martinez and you think that Nick Hague gets an elevated role and Zach Whitecloud gets an elevated role, and then you choose between Hutton or Coglin to be your sixth guy. There's that, or if you go solid two and a solid three C, if you sign, re-sign Wa. So I think, ultimately, my brain... Goes that direction in that I think they just look to keep in house and go from within and just dump the salary as needed.
2: So your brain doesn't tell you Patrice Bergeron on a very team friendly deal to play with Bruce Cassidy as a Vegas Golden Knight.
1: Oh, I thought scorched earth, but I didn't want to go that far. Um, <laughs> I, I, have, I have I have totally <laughs> thought scorched earth, to where I thought Bergeron would just be a very. Viable option. I've even gone as far to say, "Well, hey, if you trade Pacioretty, maybe David is available." Like I have thought these things, but I I didn't want to think them out <laughs> loud. But if you're going to put me in that rabbit hole, that might be something worth exploring. Ultimately, it depends if Bergeron still wants to even play this year. But I would I would just find it hilarious that. Yeah, we know Shea Weber's not playing. He's still another captain. If you go out and sign Bergeron, that's mm-hmm. like the fifteenth captain they've mm-hmm. signed. It's it, it's just it's just hilarious at this point.
2: Well, well, I mean, like, shouldn't they just have a room of twenty three captains? Like, you yeah, you would like, think, like, right, uh, that Listen, work I, in year one. <laughs> I here's here's my point. Like, I I think that if you're looking to move on from players from a position of power right now, the Golden Knights down the middle, they're as good as they've ever been. You mentioned Brett Howden. uh, You mentioned Nick Waugh. Of course, now you have Jack Eichel and Chandler Stephenson. Like, that's four NHL centers that I think can fill the roles one through four that you need filled. But who's the guy I didn't mention? It's, It's William Carlson. Now, if you're able to, you know, come out net positive, on a Carlson trade that brings in or allows you to sign Patrice Bergeron, like that's, that's hard to, to, to kind of turn away from. Now, I don't know that the likelihood is there. I I don't think it's going to happen. I think Patrice Bergeron is only ever going to play for the Bruins, but I'm fascinated by the idea of this happening because of all the people that would be so mad about it. I kind of (laughs) want to see it go.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm right there with you. I I thought about it if you move on from Carlson and you get that salary off and like you said, if you come out with a net positive, good. I, I think the curious thing is how much can you get Berger coming off of a fifth selfie? And, and I, I don't know if that, you know, comes in at more than 5.9 million. I don't know if that's if you can get them on a huge discount where there's no state income tax and you can play that card maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I have thought about that option and to think of a top six, Potentially with you know two Selkie finalists, a five-time Selkie winner and a two-time finalist. It no one wants to play that lineup if that's the case. So I, I'm I'm definitely all in on that one if it happens. I don't think it will,
0: but I, I would be here for it for sure. All right, Danny, I want to ask you about a player that we we probably haven't talked about on this show in probably close to six months, but he is still on the roster and he's got one year left before he becomes an RFA, and he's only 23. What are the Golden Knights going to do with Nolan Patrick?
1: Oh, that's a guy I haven't heard in a long time. Um, yeah, like I
0: said, about six months.
1: <laughs> um, you know what? In in lieu of, of that story I had mentioned earlier that I wrote a week and a half ago, I actually had them buying out Nolan Patrick. Um, and I think that also alleviates some salary cap space if that's a route they wanted to go to. Uh, I just think... And, and it and it sucks because you you hoped for the guy that would you know find a new home and that he he did for the little time he was on the ice he did show some promise. It's just with the center position as crowded as it is right now, there's just no sense of even having him really on the roster. I, I just don't know. If you can find someone that is a little bit more serviceable of a 13 forward or someone that you can plug in to play the wing at a consistent rate and not get injured, I think you go that route. I think ultimately, if I had to predict, I think Patrick either gets bought out or put on waivers before the season starts, and that's how they shed a little bit more salary.
2: All right, Denny, I'm going to switch gears. We're going to move off the Golden Knights because I want to ask you this question. It seemed to ruffle some feathers today when I put okay. it out on Twitter. Um, if if the Colorado Avalanche absolutely roll over the Tampa Bay Lightning, like if Tampa gets completely rickrolled in this series, um, does it change your perception of the last two championships that the Tampa Bay Lightning have won? In, in essence, do they have to show well in this series for you to validate what they've done in the past?
1: No, I don't think so. I, I think, and ultimately the reason why I say that is because the amount of hockey that they've played over the last two seasons. I mean, we're talking about two postseason runs in less than one calendar year. And you and I, I saw the, a couple of arguments last night on Twitter about, the Lightning didn't have to play in front of any fans in the the Edmonton bubble. They didn't have to play hardly any fans in the Montreal series. So does it really validate it? Colorado obviously is just another juggernaut that they have not faced before, and it's just a testament to how much hockey the Lightning have played over the last couple of seasons. And to me, if you can even win... You know, if you win two Stanley Cups in a row, obviously that already puts you in esteemed company. And I don't think anybody was questioning the Penguins when they were doing it. No one was questioning the Blackhawks when they were doing it. But the Lightning had played so much hockey in such a short, condensed amount of time, and yet they still made it to a third straight final. Like, remember, they were down one nothing to Toronto. They were down three two to Toronto, and they ended up winning that series. They were down 2 nothing to the Rangers and ended up winning four straight. Like There were so many chances to knock the Lightning out of the playoffs, and they still made it to the final. So to me, that in itself I think has warranted that what they've done in the last two years should not be discredited because of the amount of work they did in this postseason alone.
2: Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, Danny. I think it's ridiculous to try to take away past accomplishments because Tampa's playing against an opponent in Colorado that just it just might be their time. Hey, you know, I, I appreciate you taking quite a bit of time here on a Monday to chat with us about the Golden Knights, about Bruce Cassidy and, and where the priorities are for the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, what are you working on right now in, in relation to the Vegas Golden Knights and where can people find your stuff?
1: Oh, we can find my stuff at com. I just posted a, uh, a great conversation with Dave Gosher uh, that went up today. We were speaking about uh, uh, the situation in Uvalde, and he spoke very candidly to me about gun control. You can go read that online right now. Uh, right now, I'm kind of watching old Bruins tape and seeing how the power play looks and Going to hopefully get that going in the next couple of days, and I'll be working on something uh, with the Las Vegas Aces likely tomorrow uh, for Title Nine's 50th anniversary. So definitely keeping myself busy so far. But, yes, you can find all of this on LasVegasSun.com.
2: Danny, do me a favor. When you've got that, play, uh, that uh, power play piece up and running, let me know. Yep. We'll get you back on here. We'll dive a little bit deeper into what we might expect out of the Golden Knights power play uh, in the coming weeks. How's that sound?
1: You got it, my man. Whenever you guys want me on, I'd be more than happy to hop on.
2: Fantastic stuff. That's Danny Webster with the Las Vegas Sun joining us here to get us a little bit deeper into the outlook for the Golden Knights come the offseason, what the priorities are, whether or not there'll be more moves. Hint, Danny and I both think that more is on the horizon for the Golden Knights going into next season. We're back with one-timers next on the VGK Insider Show right here on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Maybe a two-on-one. Petrangelo gets it. He shoots. He scores.
0: It's time for one-timers. One-timers.
2: Short-handed goal. Alex Petrangelo.
0: Quick looks at some of the biggest stories of the day on the VGK Insider Show show
2: one-timers brought to you by paul powell more lawyers less fee or look around the league news notes everything nhl let's start with more information on the coaching carousel this one hitting a little closer to home as it would appear i haven't seen anything officially come through yet but elliot friedman earlier today mentioned that it seemed like the Dallas Stars and head coach Pete DeBoer were closing in on a contract. It is looking like right now Pete DeBoer will be the Dallas Stars' next head coach. So I, I guess my only question in this, Chapman, is what took so long?
0: Yeah, it, it seemed like a match made in heaven, obviously, with uh, Pavelski being a member of the Dallas Stars. Um
2: the most obvious coaching yeah, yeah, choice. Like like where out there.
0: where were they going to go? Like like they weren't going to bring Jim Montgomery back. Um, you know, they they missed out on 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 Cassidy, not that I I don't know if he was interested in that job anyway. I don't think they anyway. were in line for Cassidy. Yeah. I mean, no. they're not in line for trots. So, where were they going to go? Like it it well, it, it's beyond just that. Like you've got really
2: good offensive players that can hold on to pucks in the offensive zone. Like they can be a very heavy cycle team. What does Pete DeBoer do better than any other coach? He gets teams to hold on to pucks in the offensive zone and cycle and cycle and cycle. What do you have in Dallas? You've got some young defensemen that can get the puck through to the front of the net and you've got players that go to the front of the net and make a living off of deflections and rebounds. Like if you were to if you were to create a team that was built to play the way pete devore coaches
0: it's dallas stars
2: it's the dallas stars like this was this was a no-brainer and yet it took longer than it needed to
0: well the other the other aspect of it is that this was a team that i think for a large chunk of the season we, we really didn't know who they were we didn't know who the dallas stars mm-hmm. were yeah. and and unfortunately in vegas a lot of the 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 uh the, the stories were around a lack of identity for this team as well so uh, you know, it, 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 it's it's a good match, like you mentioned, for, for a variety of reasons. They've got some really good, dynamic defensemen. Uh, they've got a, a dynamic player in Robertson. So, you know, the cupboard's definitely not empty for Pete. Uh, I think he'll find some success there. Look, the, regardless of what happened here, the guy's a good coach. And he's proven it multiple times yeah. at multiple stops. That Pete DeBoer is a, is a good hockey coach. So... I think the Dallas Stars will find some success. Unfortunately for the Dallas Stars, they're they're in that area where they're maybe in the seven to ten range in the Western Conference. So making the playoffs is going to be difficult. But I think Pete DeBoer is a good enough coach where where if things go right for them, they'll be in the playoffs.
2: Well, on the topic of the Dallas Stars, they are. One of two teams that are kicking the tires on Jeff Petrie of the Montreal Canadiens. So, Dallas, Detroit, those are the two teams that are closely linked to Montreal. If the Canadiens were to move on from Jeff Petrie, three more years left on his contract. It's a, you know, defenseman on the wrong side of 30. Um, like, if you're Dallas. I, I don't know that you want to go that route, but maybe it makes sense if you can't come to some type of agreement on a contract for John Klingberg.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a step down because I think Klingberg is, is a better defenseman than, well, than Petrie, but y- yes, you're also but talking about... Dallas a, 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 is not... Petrie's salary is... The, the Stars is, don't is, want to
2: go... They don't they don't wanna go they don't wanna go long term with Klingberg. That's the problem. Right, like like John Klingberg wants term. Yes. Right? He wants term. You're talking about a twenty nine year old defenseman that wants term. I don't know that your your appetite to go there is is large for the Dallas Stars. Like I think that you are willing to go there with Haskinen because he's young.
0: Yes. Well, I, he's I don't only 22, think you yeah. you want
2: to go five, six years, six, seven years with, with Klingberg, right? I think
0: that's understandable. Look, he's got a lot of miles on, on, on the wheels. Um, so does Petrie, but Petrie's only under contract for three years. He's also 34. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I think it's a little more palatable knowing that in three years you can move on from him. But, I mean, if, if I can get Klingberg for four or five, I'm doing that. I don't want Jeff. I don't want thirty-four-year-old Jeff Petrie now. If I could get Klingberg, who's twenty-nine, as you mentioned, and his contract will <laughs> expire when he yeah. hits the age that Petrie is today, I don't think that's that. There's yeah. not a lot of thought that needs to go into that, especially if we're talking similar salaries. Um, sure, it, it's it's an interesting situation. Like I, I can't picture Klingberg leaving. Right, he wears a letter, but guys move. It happens. And I think there will be some teams yeah. that certainly are in the market for Klingberg, so it'll it'll really depend on what he wants to do. Look, I, I don't blame him one bit if he wants term. This is probably going to be the last big contract the guy signs in his career. I'm all about players getting their money. I'm all about John Klingberg getting his. So, if Dallas isn't willing to, to give him the money, then Dallas is obviously going to have to do something to replace him. I just don't know if Petrie's the right fit.
2: Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, again, I I think that a Klingberg contract is seven or eight years. Like, that's what the player wants. And, and if the Dallas Stars are unwilling to go there, and frankly, they shouldn't yeah, be willing I, to go I there. Yeah, I probably wouldn't go there either you're talk- from Dallas. You, you're You're talking about as as funny as this sounds like you're talking about the decision to trade for a 34 year old jeff petrie so you don't have to sign john klingberg to a contract that takes him through here's 37 and 38 yeah. but yet you would be trading for a player that's going to take you through 34 35 36 37 like i to me it's nonsensical like i think that you just, you, you cut bait with John Klingberg. If you're not going to re sign him, if you don't want to go to that term, don't go to that term. But you, you don't necessarily need to bring in an aging defenseman to do that. Just trust in what you have and trust in what, you know, if, if Pete DeBoer ends up being the coach, which it looks like he's going to, just trust in his ability to get the most out of his defense core.
0: It almost makes you wonder if, if maybe, uh, something Danny had mentioned about Alec Martinez if that's a good fit for the Dallas Stars should John Klingberg move on
2: yeah it, it would be interesting right I I don't know that that's kind of the opponent that you'd want to to trade a player like that to. <laughs> no but, no probably uh, not you know the fact
0: but familiarity term 5.25 yeah I think he's he, yeah I mean he production wise he's probably not going to give you the points that that you got from Jeff Petrie but I mean, Alec Martinez is still a pretty good defenseman.
2: The Washington Capitals, as we hard pivot here to a story that kind of, frankly, sucks. It it just sucks. Uh, The Capitals are going to be without Nick Backstrom for the foreseeable future. Nick Backstrom underwent hip resurfacing surgery on Friday. There is no immediate timetable on a return. The last... uh, I guess, high-profile player that underwent the same type of procedure that Backstrom is, has undergone is Ryan Kessler. He underwent that uh, hip resurfacing surgery in 2019 and has not played in an NHL game since. So, the, the I mean, the main thing that goes without saying here is hopefully Nick Backstrom can find some kind of normalcy in his day-to-day life after undergoing this procedure and the hockey stuff, that all comes secondary, but it kind of lends into our our idea or belief that the Washington Capitals come next year are going to be a team that takes a step back.
0: Listen, I don't know exactly what hip resurfacing surgery is, but it mm-hmm. sounds pretty painful. Um, it, sounds it sounds like terrible. Yeah. It sounds like there's implants that are put into your hip Um to replace damaged tissue and bone for more men younger than 60 are the best candidates by the way for hip resurfacing but it sounds awful like it's basically yeah. it, it almost sounds like it's pretty close to hip replacement um I hope the guy's able to come back you mentioned Kessler if he hasn't come back you know the odds are certainly going to be against Backstrom to come back and be productive but uh man I mean hip replacement surgery it just sounds awful yeah, it's not ideal. So,
2: by the way, I, that, uh, I looked up
0: what it is. It's uh, trimming yeah. damaged bone and cartilage from the ball and socket. With a me- yeah. so they Terrible. place a metal cap on top of the trimmed thigh bone. No, thank mm. you. A metal shell goes into the hip socket. Oh.
2: So, yeah, it, it's all about you know making sure that that Nick Backstrom's recovery is what's most important. The hockey comes secondary and unfortunately that's that's kind of the situation right there for for nick backstrom who played through this year with a a bad hip and now he's going to be able to get that addressed in the off season we do have an update game number three colorado one tampa nothing uh, colorado actually scored two goals one was an offside so right now just a little over 10 minutes played in the first period the colorado avalanche up one and nothing on tampa lead the series two games to none those are your one timers brought to you by paul powell more lawyers less fee we're back to wrap it up next catching up with chapman
0: when the guy wouldn't stop talking we had no choice but to give him his own segment it's time for catching up with chapman Alright, Ryan. Well, yesterday was, was Father's Day and I saw the pictures that you posted on, on your Twitter and that your wife posted and I, I hope you had a great Father's Day. I actually did not have a chance to celebrate yesterday. I had to work but we're celebrating tonight. We're actually going to go out to dinner. My my mom has taken me out and my wife and my son will will join us as well and uh, we're, we're going to go. I'm going to make my mom step out of her comfort zone a little bit. My mom has never had Indian food. So we're going to go. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I love Indian food, but my mom has never had it. So, uh, we're, we're going to go try a place really close to the station here. Um, I've heard good things about it. So, uh, we're going to check it out. And if it's good, I'll, I'll let you know because I know you, 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 you like to try different things and I know you like spicy food. So, uh, yeah mm-hmm. hopefully uh it, it's good and by the way tampa tied the game ryan's not ryan i went to school with a ryan sorelli yeah. anthony sorelli with the goal for tampa <laughs> not ryan sorelli former classmate did you, of mine did
2: you see the goal i did, did yeah it's pretty
0: pretty phenomenal potential play of the yeah, day well, candidate
2: it's, it's uh it's a great goal it's a terrible terrible play by darcy Kemper, but it's a great goal um <laughs> It's a, it's a no-shot from Anthony Sorelli, but it's good news for the Tampa Bay Lightning that Sorelli finds the back of the net, ties the game at one. So Tampa certainly uh, not going away easily in this game, and I don't expect that they're going to go away easily in this series. Chapman, enjoy the Indian food. Let me know how it is. Uh, yes, I, yes. I don't, believe there's a, I don't believe there's food that you dislike. No. Is there? No.
0: Oh, when I was in yeah. Singapore, I had the best Indian mm-hmm. food of my life it's I. It's all I ate for like four days was Indian food in Singapore. It's it's that good there. Really? Oh, it's so good.
2: Yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah, you'll have to let me know. Um, and enjoy your belated Father's Day and a uh, Happy Father's Day to everyone else that uh, is a father and gets to enjoy that day. We will chat with you tomorrow right here on the BGK Insider Show.